me invite your attention this morning to the book of Matthew and chapter number 27. Matthew and chapter number 27, as you stand in honor of God's eternal word, I'm glad we can have some time together in the word. Uh, again, it's good to have guests with us. Uh, I look out and see many that were even here on Friend Day are back. What a blessing. That's wonderful. Uh, well, every Sunday's Friend Day at Southwest Baptist Church. And I mean, really, that should be our mindset about that. And I pray that it is um, because God sure has been friendly to us. We get to pass it on to others. And so we're glad that you're here and, and uh, good to see others as well. We have our cantata coming up. So let me just say a word, maybe while some are still finding their place in Matthew 27. The, and there's cards. The reason I'm holding that up, there's cards out in the foyers where you can pick these up and share them with your friends and coworkers and invite them to come for the cantata. I sure enjoy hearing the choir sing every Sunday and they're working hard right now along with the, uh, the orchestra and, and preparing uh, for that, uh, for the cantata. And as you would see on the card, it's called Wonder and Awe. Our theme this year is Stand in Awe of Him. And so the cantata is going to help us to stand in awe of the fact that God came to earth and became man, 100% God, 100% man, sinless, sinless. He's not like us. And that he took on flesh like us that he might die in our place. In fact, that's where we are this morning. We're at the cross. We're at the place of crucifixion as we read in Matthew 27. And uh, we were there last Sunday, if you remember for Friend Day, about the thieves that were dying uh, with him. And yet one of them trusted Christ as Savior. So um, we're, we're just going to try to take our time because this is the most important moment in human history is when Jesus paid it all for our sins. And so Matthew is elaborating on a certain aspect of that. And so sometimes as a preacher and, and others that preach or teach will understand what I'm about to say, sometimes it's hard to know um, what preaching portion to cover because you wanna, it all works together. But uh, for the sake of our understanding, we're gonna look at just a segment of it for beginning to verse number 27. Uh, verse number 27, we'll consider where Jesus is going to the cross. And then, and then this, um, here's where we're make a, making a breaking point. Uh, the first three hours on the cross. So he was on the cross from nine in the morning. And then at noon, the earth became dark. And we'll come back to that, God willing, next Sunday morning. And then from there till three in the afternoon. So the six hours, we're looking at that with great detail and trying to zoom in where Matthew is. And so let's look at it now in Matthew 27 and verse 27. So it says this here. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Thought it significant if I could insert here. Our choir opened this morning with, All hell, King Jesus. But that was sincerely. This is insincere. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked him. 
verse 30, and they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. Verse 31, and after that, and after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, the Bible says, verse 34, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when, they had when he, rather, had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. A quotation from Psalm 22. And sitting down, they watched him there and set up over his head his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking, mocking him with the scribes and elders said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. If thou be the king of Israel, I'm sorry, if he be the king of Israel, let him come down, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. Well, they hadn't up to that point and he had done plenty to convince them that he is a fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures to the T. They said, we will believe him. Verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Verse 44, the thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. In other words, put insults his direction. Well, I'm thankful, although Matthew does not record it, I am thankful that Luke does that one of those thieves stopped reviling him and started trusting him. So we're going to stop our reading there. As I mentioned, obviously the account goes on, but for us to really take it in, I, I believe we'll pause there and come back to verse 45 and and our series has been entitled, for those that are guests, our series, we've been working through the book of Matthew, understanding who Jesus was. And a theme has been, or given it this title, Jesus is 
king. And what we have here is a coronation service, the crowning of the king. Although in this, in this coronation service, which by the way, um, there's one coming. <laughs> when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2. But this one I'm referring to, it just struck me this way, and I will try to take some time to explain it. The disingenuous, disingenuous, not genuine, disingenuous coronation of their king. The disingenuous coronation of their king. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. There's a host of verses in the Bible that point out the fact that God is king. I'll just read a sampling of some of them. In uh, First Chronicles, of course, King David uh, is reflecting on who God is. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Thine. For all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. He wrote in some other Psalms, I'm not going to give all the references, but he said things like this, the Lord is king forever and ever. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises unto our king. Sing praises. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy Dominion endureth forever throughout all generations. Uh, Jeremiah got in on the theme and, and he, said, uh, he said this in Jeremiah 10, 10, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king, an everlasting king. Daniel. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had is the, he dreamed about a, uh, a uh, multi-metallic man, a head of gold, arms of silver, thighs of brass, and, and legs of iron, and feet part iron, part clay. And, but the rock of ages came and smashed into the multi-metallic man, we might say. It's all a dream, but it's about the kingdoms of the world. But, but it says of Jesus in that kingdom that in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44, that in those days, these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. His kingdom uh, shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way. I mean, really the hard way. I mean, just read Daniel chapter four and you'll see this great king that went out to maybe his balcony there in Babylon and said, look at all this that I have made. And at that instant, God turned him into what would look like a beast or an animal as his claws began to grow and he took on a hair like a wild beast and a, anyway, just a wild looking man. Well, at the end of seven years, some of us are hard learners. At the end of seven years, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, he said, lifted up 
mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. <laughs> he learned that he wasn't all that he thought he was, but he learned that God was. And, and there are other verses that I, I won't take the time to read here, but even into the New Testament as Nathaniel was was one of the first disciples to meet Jesus and he called him by name and he marveled that he knew his name. <laughs> and, and Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God. And, and he says, thou art the king of Israel. Yeah. So early on, it's acknowledged that, that Jesus is the king. And, and Matthew, as I hope that if you've been here in the series that you've noticed that, that Matthew repeatedly and emphasizes in many ways. In fact, just after Jesus was born and, and, and as the men from the east came, this would not be at the, the scene at Bethlehem, but later as he's there in his home that, that they ask, uh, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Shook Herod up that there's another king. He kind of liked his job. He didn't want to lose his job as king of the Jews as, as it was in his mind. And, and then in chapter 21, as we read not many weeks ago, uh, maybe months now as time has gone on, but, but anyways, as we read in chapter number 21, that, he, that as Jesus is coming into the Jerusalem, it's, it's a fulfillment of the prophecy uh, where, which says this, tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee. And in fact, all the people that were there, many of whom, not the chief priest, but many of the Jews that had seen him at the tomb of Lazarus as he called forth and Lazarus came out of the tomb and many of those people were there as he came into Jerusalem, the city of the great king and, and they cried out this, Hosanna, save now. In other words, they, they were ready for him to set up his kingdom right then and there, but it wasn't time. I said it was not time for him to set up the kingdom. It was not time for him to wear the crown of, of royalty, but it was time for him to wear the crown of thorns. Jesus referred to himself as king in Matthew 25 and verse number 34 when it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the earth. I'm just simply trying to establish here up front whether the world acknowledges it or not, and whether you acknowledge it or not, Jesus is king regardless of who accepts his rule. We're not here to make him king. We're here to acknowledge that he is king. That he is. And Matthew is certainly pointing this out in this chapter. I mean, there's a real, there's a focus here on this. In fact, it really, he makes the most of this of all the other gospel writers. And, and he highlights the mockery. The mockery that came to Jesus, it's mentioned in verse 31, in verse 39, verse 41, verse 44. I mean, all these verses that, that have displayed here that, that they mocked their king. They ridiculed him. So I looked up the word mock, believing it to be such an important part of this section of scripture. And, and it means this, to play with, to trifle with. Um. Hey, God is nothing to play with or trifle with. They derided him, derision, ridicule, make fun of. 
In fact, I read one that said this, the one lexicon said that the word mock means this. Listen very closely to this. It means this, to make fun of someone by pretending that he is not what he is. <laughs> I had to read it again too, okay? It means to make fun of someone by pretending that he is not actually what he is. Well, he is king, but do you see what they're saying here? As they mocked him as, we'd say it this way, quote, quote, king. They were basically saying with their mockery, we don't think he's king, but let's have a good time at his expense. When in all actuality, he was king. But they mocked him as though he was not. But he was king. And thus, as they bowed before him, hail, can you see them? Hail, king of the Jews, as they do homage and Hail, King of the Jews. And, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but, but there, I, I think you can see, you can just see from a simple reading. I don't think anybody missed it here this morning. I would trust that you didn't. I think it would be very much in plain sight that they are indeed disingenuous. They're hypocritical. They're not sincere. There's nothing about their bowing before Jesus that in any wise indicates that they intend to submit to his rule in their life. They simply do not. Many today give him lip service, but their lives prove that they too are disingenuous. My concern this morning, and I hope it comes across the right way, I'm just trying to read the Bible and apply it to where we are. My concern today is that we too are prone, listen very closely, and then we're going to get into the ins and outs of this passage. My concern, and I think the reason why Matthew has recorded this at great length is obviously for to, us to see indeed that he was who he said he was. He is the king of Israel. He is the king of the universe. He's king. But my concern is this that we are prone to being insubordinate to his rule as well. We're just more polite about it. <laughs> not sure if you caught that or not. If not, I'll take the rest of the sermon trying to help us to see that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We may sing all hell King Jesus, and yet go on our way living as we please. Last time we were in the Gospel of Matthew, we were considering Pilate. I don't have time to go into the ins and outs of, of Pilate's decision, but except just to say this, because it'll help in moving forward. While Pilate tried in many different ways to spared Jesus' crucifixion. And he had a lot of pressure on him from the Jews. Ultimately, the decision was his, even though he tried to wash his hands of it. He was the one who said, let him be crucified. It was his decision. 
I mention that because it's important that you would understand today that you cannot escape the most important decision of your life. And that would be namely this. What are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with him? You, you can't escape that decision. To make no decision is a decision. See. And Pilate was pleasing the wrong people because he was living for the wrong person. And we can get in the same trap. So I believe what Matthew is doing here, like the other gospel writers, is that they are taking this, this great gem of a truth that Jesus died, but he's also showing us different angles on it and facets of it that we might see ourselves. The soldiers took Jesus to what is referred to here as the common hall, the praetorium. Maybe a large gathering place, and it says that the whole band of soldiers gathered with them, a cohort of, of soldiers, although a, a full band would be 500 to 600 soldiers, part of a legion. Maybe here there would, there would be 200. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it would be a, a large gathering of soldiers. Jesus stood before Pilate early in the morning at the crack of dawn. And, and so he's not going to be crucified until nine o'clock in the morning. So there's at least a, uh, of course, we have the trial that, that is taking place. But so maybe we have an hour to two hours in, of an interval time. We have him making his way as well to Mount Calvary. But, but nonetheless, there's a period of time here where these 200 or less, a large number of soldiers are having their way with Jesus. They mock him as the king of Israel because that's what he's being crucified as, as a threat to Rome. What did they do that, that indicates in the text that, he, that they were mocking him as a king? Well, I mean, if you look just back at it, I'm not going to have us reread all the verses, but verse number 28, they took off his, his garment and they put on him a royal robe. A scarlet robe. And this would have been a, a military's uh, garment that was laying around. Maybe some former soldier had laid it aside. It wasn't truly a king's robe, but because of its color, uh, its, its uh, color there is scarlet. It has a, it's a color of royalty. So they just, here's what they did. They found an old coat and put it on him that kind of looked like a royal coat and then they took a crown of thorns while we were in Israel. Actually, we, we saw some of those thorns and, and um, in my soul, I, I mean, it made me realize just how painful this had to be. And they took those thorns and they formed what would be like a, a crown as, as the kings of that day would wear a, a wreath that we would recognize, but this would be a crown of thorns and they were mocking him with a crown and and, uh, and by the way, it's of thorns, which if you hearken back or look back to Genesis chapter three and verse 18, thorns are a result of the curse of sin upon the earth. So we, can I say it this way and be accurate to say that the curse of our sin is literally upon our Savior. As he wore that crown of thorns and they took a reed, a, a, a staff basically, a, and, and they put it in his hand as though a royal scepter or a staff of royalty. And then as I already acknowledged, they bowed before him, mocking him and saying, Hail King Jesus, hail thou King of the Jews. In other words, I like to say this, long live the King. 
May his rule be forever. And they, they mock him and they jeer at him. They deride him. This band of men thirsty for blood and, and men just as, as many men would do, they would ridicule and then they, they treat him as you treat no king. They spit upon him. And they took that reed and they hit him on the head. He'd already been beaten. He'd already been scourged, friend. And may I remind you here this morning, he did all that for you and he did it all for me. Praise his holy name. And they led him to a place called Golgotha. And it was customary that they would carry their cross or the beam of the cross and, and they would go through the cities, the, the city there of old Jerusalem and, and before them would be the crime. And, and it was very symbolic that they are carrying the responsibility for the crime that they have done to be crucified. But that day, friend, he wasn't carrying the burden and responsibility of his own sin because he did not have sin. He was bearing the responsibility of your sin. He had been without rest. He had been without sleep. He had been beaten nearly to the point of death. In fact, if you study it out, you see that many times when they undergo the beating at the hands of the Romans, many of them didn't even live through the beating itself. So he's lost a great amount of blood and he's weak and he can't carry the cross and there's not a Roman that would help him. So he turns to a man of, of North Africa that either lived in Jerusalem at the time, but I would imagine that he's like many, had just come to Jerusalem for the Passover. And he came to the Passover bringing a sacrificial lamb and he met the Lamb of God that was there to take away the sin of the world as he met the Lord Jesus. And it wasn't just happenstance, friend. Listen, God was providentially involved in that. In fact, Mark in his gospel account is gonna mention this man that we read of, Simon of, of Cyrene, and he's gonna mention that he's the father of Alexander and the father of Rufus. In other words, they knew his children. So I think that through this, evidently, Simon got saved. And his kids got saved and they started serving the Lord. Hey, listen today, you're not here by happenstance. You're not here by coincidence. There's a God in heaven that has you here to consider the, consider the fact that you too are a sinner and that you really want to rule your life, but you're not qualified to rule your life. And you need a savior that can save you of your sin. And there's only one, save you from your sin. And he'll save you. And listen, if you'll get your life under his authority, he can bless and use your life. It's what he did in the life of this man named Simon as he carried his cross to Golgotha's hill. It's a place of a skull. We were there. There's a couple locations that are, that are, are known. I, I, I would subscribe to the, the Gordon's tomb and what's known that way. And, uh, the skull hill sometimes it's referred to. You look at it, it does. It, look, it resembles a, a skull and, and there's a garden there. John tells us that there was a garden there. In fact, when Mary Magdalene met Jesus after his resurrection, she thought he was the gardener. And so right there is, is this, this, this hill that, that was on the thoroughfare right, right outside the Damascus Gate. By the way, he was crucified outside of the city. That's important to know. He's crucified outside of the city, dying for our sins. And people would pass that way as we read in the account. And, but there was a garden that was there. And, and sure enough, just right from that, that rock formation, just down the way is, is the tomb, uh, that garden, and the tomb that is in the, in the garden. And, and so we, we had this dear, sweet lady from Scotland that was in her 80s, who was our tour guide. 
And through tears, I don't know, friend, how many times that she had given a tour there, but she wept telling us in her Scottish accent that just drew us all in. That it was most likely here that our dear Savior died for our sins. Oh, it was precious. My favorite part of our trip, even just right there at, at, the, at the, uh, the empty tomb, of course, because the cross wouldn't mean a thing had it not been for the empty tomb. Jacob and Juanita Pierce's little daughter said to me, uh, said, said to me this. She said her favorite story is, is the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. She says, that's my favorite part. <laughs> I had to agree with her. The fact that he's alive, that's my favorite part too. Yeah, it's good. They gave him vinegar mixed with gall to drink. It would, it would be uh, like a, 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 a measure whereby that pain could be uh, subsided in the, in the one that was being crucified or deadened, but he refused to drink of it. He was fully conscious, taking the brunt of our sin, the pain for our sin. It's actually a fulfillment throughout Matthew's account. He's drawn in here how this fulfills Old Testament. This fulfills prophecy. This, this particular is out of Psalm 69. This is out of Psalm 22. Hey, listen, the Romans thought that they were in control. The chief priests thought that they were in control. But it was really our God in heaven that was in control and leading his son to die in our place, you see. They parted his garments. These four soldiers each divided up an article of his clothing, but when they came to that, that seamless robe that was of, of greater value than those other things that he had upon his body that day, they gambled for it. And that's a fulfillment of Psalm 22 and 18. They parted my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. They sat down, the Bible says, and they watched him there. These soldiers were assigned to, to keep watch and to make sure, perhaps, even that none would try to rescue him. And they had above his head this inscription, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Verse 39 and 40 tells us that those that passed by ridiculed him. The Bible says that they wagged their heads. Can you see them now? Wagging their head in disgust. Psst. He who, who uh, said that he would, uh, let, me, let me join you there in verse number 39. They passed by and they said, thou that destroyest the temple and, and buildest it in three days. They, they distorted his words. You who claim to be the son of God. In fact, these are the same idea, the same, tip, the same type of words that Satan said as he's on the pinnacle of the temple. As he said, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down. They said at the cross, if thou be the son of God, then come down from the cross. Listen, friend, he was on that cross because he was the son of God. He had to be on that cross dying in shame for the shame of your sin and the shame of my sin. But they continued to mock him and they reviled him and they blasphemed him. And they said, if he is, he is the son of God, let him come down. And then ironically, it's interesting to me that in verse 41 and verse 42, that the chief priests and scribes and elders were there. They didn't typically attend execution services. No, but they were there out of pure hatred for Jesus and jealousy of Jesus. And so there they are too, mocking Jesus and saying, as you see there in verse 41 and 42, he saved others, he helped others, himself he cannot save. 
If thou be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. They mocked him. That too is a fulfillment of Psalm 22 and verse number eight. He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. They mocked the idea that he referred to himself as a son of God. And then the Bible tells us even about the thieves and how the, the thieves cast the same in his teeth. They too joined in the insults. But thank God one of them repented. It may even be that you're here today and at one time you mocked the idea of the faith. Mocked the idea of God. Mocked the idea of the seriousness of sin. Mocked the idea of eternal life. Hey, can I say to you on the authority of the Word of God that we read last week and we're reading again this week that death is not the end? That as Jesus' body was in the grave, he's, he was, his spirit was, his, his soul spirit was back in the Father's presence. And Jesus said to that thief that was dying on that cross that day, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Death was not the end. And I thank God today that his past did not forfeit him from being saved. Neither does your past forfeit you from being saved. He'll save any sinner that would call on him for salvation. There was nothing that this man could do to save himself, but he turned to the one that could save him. It's ironic that over and over again, I don't know how many times, and I don't know how many people said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And they were watching the greatest saving act of all human history, and yet they did not understand In fact, our Savior compassionately prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They mocked him. They derided him. They ridiculed him. Because they didn't really understand who he was. Because if you really understand who he was, who he is, and who he ever shall be, when you bow the knee before him and genuinely acknowledging that he is king, you just bowed in the presence of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hey, listen, I know that, I know that there's the, the Jews that were at this scene are no longer on the scene. The, the Roman soldiers that taunted him, cast that in his teeth and ridiculed him and put that crown, the disingenuous ways in which they treated him that spat upon him. I realize they're no longer on the scene, but today there are still those who mock his name. There are those who mock the idea that there is a creator Mock the idea that he created all that is in six literal 24-hour consecutive days. Mock the idea that we are made in the image of God. Mock the idea that there are two genders, male and female, and created he them. And mock the idea of traditional marriage. Mock the idea of the family. Mock the idea of, of God being in control. And mock as they will, it does not change the fact that he is who he said he is 
and he always shall be. And listen, even though they mock the idea and the truths that he represents, you cannot change the fact of those truths. And yet, I'm thankful that he's still compassionate. Looks on a nation and people in the nation, name the United States of America, that in many ways are thumbing their nose at God and once again shaking their fist at him. And essentially, if you don't mind me just being very frank, frank about it, just almost spitting in his face one more time. And yet, he's still the man of sorrows and the man of compassion. And the very people that spit in his face and beat him nearly to death, he died in their place and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the same is true today. Those who mock him and righteousness do not fully understand what they do. And I'm thankful that those who have mocked can be saved. I just read it. Some of you did too. Saul on his way to kill more Christians. And yet he met the living Christ on the way who said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I, I thank God that Saul, who now we know as Paul, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You know, you know what he did right there? He bowed the knee. I've already mentioned it here this morning, but they were very disingenuous in their service before him and their bowing before him. But I, I fear, here's a point of application I'd like to make here before we, before we go any further, and that would be this. You, you, you and I, we all better be careful lest we sing his praises and yet still live our own way. It's not right for you to sing, oh, how I love Jesus, and then go on listening to what you want to in your car that has vile wickedness in it and violence in it and, and just audio pornography or pornography itself, or watching things that are vile and wicked before him. And yet, please, please understand the intent of what I'm preaching here today, that you're here today going through this service, and essentially you're saying, oh, hell, King Jesus, he is God, he is king, he is ruler, and yet you're living your life no different than those Roman soldiers did, in the sense that you're saying one thing and doing a complete different thing. Am I, am I, am I, am I on solid ground to mention it that way? Am I, is it possible that, that there be even believers here today that have been genuinely saved? I don't doubt that at all, but I know what it's like. In fact, I just preached a youth rally up in Colorado on Friday night and there were some rambunctious teenagers behind me and they were saying things that uh, they shouldn't have been saying anywhere, but especially in church. Okay, let me rephrase, anywhere. Period. But I know what it was like when I was a teenager and I was, and I, I just actually it was, it was, it was such a, it, it, I just had to clear off a spot and say, I remember what it's like having no choice about coming to church. My mom having me in church, making sure I was there, but I didn't really want to be there. Anybody else in the room like, 
I, I don't mean like right now, but, but <laughs> I'd go to a youth rally on Friday night and then do shameful things after that. Watch vile, wicked things. I'd go to church on a Sunday morning. I'm not, I'm not glorying in this. I, in fact, it's a shame unto me. But I know what it's like, figuratively speaking, to bow the knee and say, yes, he's God. He's Lord. And yet as a young teenager, even at youth camp and youth rallies, make sexual innuendos that should never be stated. You listen to me? Hey, I know this is not comfortable preaching. I know this is not comfortable, but I'm, I'm, I'm here to be your agitator. Here to make you think, hey, is this real or not real? Is he king or not king? Is, is, he, is he on the throne every day or just on Sundays? Do you, do you love him every day of the week or just on Sunday morning, Sunday night, maybe a Wednesday night every night? No, wait, is he, is he really who he said he is? And if he is who he said he is, you ought to be genuine in your service to him. And I do the one thing here and then another thing out here and another thing here. We all struggle with the same deal. That sin nature, even after we're saved, we still are battling against it. But listen, he died in our place. How dare we go on our way acting, acting as though he's not really in charge and I am. Oh no, listen friend, there's only one God in the universe and you're not him and I'm not him. And we ought not feign submission to him or fake submission to him or have pretense of submission to him. He is the king and we ought to bow in sincerity before him and genuinely let him rule and reign in the particulars of our lives. Boy, this is starting to sound a lot like the message on Wednesday night if you were here. Hey, am I stretching this or is this, is this in here that they, they were acting like he, king, he was king, but they didn't really act like he would live like he was king. But I'm just concerned that there could be believers even in this very auditorium and your pastor struggles with the same thing along the way as well. That we can say and acknowledge all kinds of great theological and spiritually sounding truths, and they are, and yet not have the right attitude and make the right decisions and say the right words and do the right things. Are you listening to me here this morning? We can say he's king and yet rule our own kingdom. You know, I wonder how many more people would be saved if Christians would just act like Christians. Do you know Gandhi said that? I'd be a Christian. I'm not quoting him verbatim right here, but he said this. I'd be a Christian if it wasn't for the way that some Christians are living. Hey, if you're here today and you're not saved, regardless of how Christians live, I want you to, I want you to lift your eyes up above I want to encourage you this morning, lift your eyes up even above us and look at him because he's perfect and holy and sinless and always right. And he loves you and he'll save you here this morning. Don't let some Christian don't point fingers because ultimately just like Pilate, you can't wipe your hands of this situation and say, well, I'd be a Christian if it wasn't for, you need to stop. 
and genuinely bow before him and say, God, I'm a sinner and I need salvation. Hey, here in just a little bit, what I'm excited about getting to this part, in the latter part, after Jesus dies and there's this great earthquake and the earth had been dark for three hours, the, one of the centurions that were there, one of the soldiers said, surely this was the son of God. Someday every knee is going to bow. It'd be best for you to bow the knee now when you have opportunity to be saved rather than then when it's too late. You need to know him as your savior today. And if you do know him as your savior, please live like it. Because you're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation. No, you're redeemed. You're bought with the price by the blood of Jesus Christ. He was reviled and he reviled not again. Hanging on that cross, hearing all their jeering and ridicule and mockery. With one word, he could have wiped them all out. And yet, he only said, Father, forgive them. And yet, he only said, Son, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. And yet, he, he only said this, It is finished. <laughs> and the penalty for your sins already been paid. Last Sunday night, stamped, paid in full what we preached and he did that for sinners like us let's stand together here this morning thank you for your kindness to consider this passage and the implications of it he was reviled and he reviled not again the just Peter would later say for the unjust that he might bring us to God. He endured the scorning. He endured the pain of the cross. He endured your sin and my sin being placed upon him that you might be saved. With every head bowed here tonight, this morning, I'm sorry. <clears throat> How many of you would say, I know he's my savior. I trusted him. I thank God for the message of the cross today because it's my salvation. Praise the Lord. You may put your hands down. Thank you. Is there anyone here today that would say, preacher, if I died right now, I die in my sin. I'm not saved. I'm concerned about that. God's dealt with my heart this morning. I heard he died for me. Thank you. I see your hand there. God bless you. Thankful to God for that. Who else today while I wait a moment? Anybody else? If I died right now, I don't know for sure I'm saved, but I need to be. I know that. Yes, God bless you. I see your hand. Who else here today? Anybody else? If I died today, I don't know for sure. Would you just allow me a moment here? Allow others a moment. If, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, anybody else? Can, can I ask believers something here? As well. Now, those of you that raise your hand for salvation, there's workers that are going to be here at the front. We'd meet you here and, and take you to a place where you can show the Bible a way to be saved. Encourage you to come in just a moment. Believers, I think we're supposed to take heed to a passage like this and see the insincerity of those that bowed there. And I realize those are lost people. 
but there's ways in which we act the same way. And how, how many would say, preacher, I needed that reminder today. I needed that challenge. Would you raise your hand if that's you today? God bless you. I see your hands throughout. My hand's up. Now, Lord, help us today. We don't want to be disingenuous. I don't think it's our intent. It's certainly not as bold and brazen as it was in the days of those Roman soldiers who mocked and ridiculed you. But Lord, we can. the end result would be the same, though done more discreetly or politely or however it would be said that not as brazenly that, <clears throat> that we would acknowledge you as king and yet not live like it. So God, forgive us. I pray, help us, I pray. Help those that raise their hand, dear Lord. We, we, we pray that you'd help them to respond. In Jesus' name, amen.